0: My name is Anna Raptus, founding and managing partner at Amplifica Capital. I'm redefining venture capital by driving systemic change in Mexico and Latin America.
1: Welcome to The First Close, Carta's podcast about the people who are building next-generation venture capital firms. We interview new voices in venture about their ambitions and challenges as they aim to redefine the industry. At Carta, we help VCs build enduring venture franchises, starting with Fund One. To learn more about how Carta expands access to equity and transforms capital markets, visit us at carta.com. That's C-A-R-T-A.com. On this episode of The First Close, we interview Anna Raptis, founder of Amplifica Capital, an early-stage fund based in Mexico, investing in women-led companies across Latin America. Anna is originally from Australia, and she has always been focused on purpose-driven work. Anna spent much of her career in the energy sector, and she is a chartered financial analyst. Her work took her to Mexico in 2000, where she has been since. And in 2013, she started angel investing in fintech companies in Mexico, and she noticed that very few women were involved. In 2018, she attended an Angel Capital Association meeting, where she met dozens of women who were angel investing, and she realized how much change was possible in the Mexican venture landscape. Anna is laser-focused on advancing women in venture capital and investing in women-led companies. Not only is she the founder of Amplifica, she has also been a force for building the new infrastructure of a more inclusive VC ecosystem. She is the founder of Mujeres Invirtiendo en Capital Privado, a community of 200 women investing in private markets, which has created space for women investors across asset classes to connect, share opportunities, and collaborate. In this episode, we discuss why Anna believes venture capital is a powerful force for creating a more inclusive world, the opportunity Anna sees to invest in women-led companies in Latin America, and how her investments as an LP into funds have made her a better GP. As we do in every episode, we'll start with Anna's slash line, the key stats that make up her unique track record. Anna has built six entities, two nonprofit organizations to support professional women, one fund, and she has two children and one marriage. She has been in the investment world for twenty years. She has made seventeen investments, seven investments from Amplifica Capital, and ten investments in her angel portfolio. Anna sits on three boards at Club Comadre and Fiber Upsite, and two nonprofit boards. She has twenty-one hundred followers on Twitter. She's completed three Ironman triathlons, and Anna has three nationalities Mexican, Australian, and Greek. Anna, thank you so much for coming on the first close. I'm really excited to have you here to talk about Amplifica Capital. I want to go back in time a bit. It was 2020, and you decided to found the first women-led, woman-focused fund in Mexico. You're investing at the pre-seed and series A, so early stage. And you're really focused on businesses that are founded by women whose business models are also focused on women in Latin America. And I want to hear more about how you knew 2020 was the right moment to launch Amplifica.
0: Jessica, thank you so much for the invitation to be here today. I'm so excited to be here with you. I don't know if it was that 2020 was the right moment to launch it, but, you know, it took me a while to get going. What really inspired me was in 2018 when I went to the Angel Capital Association meeting in Boston in the US and I met all of these amazing women who had founded their own funds and they had all kinds of different gender lenses and it was something that I hadn't seen before in VC. After that, it took me some time to do some research and I spent time talking to different fund managers, different angel groups, different investing platforms to work out how I could try and achieve my goal in Mexico which was a space where I didn't see any of these things happening. And so by the time I did all that research and managed to work out what would work for Mexico, given the ecosystem that we have in Mexico, it was 2020.
1: And what were you doing in 2018? At that time, when you went to the Angel Capital Association meeting, what were you focused on? Were you actively angel investing? Did you have a different job? So
0: I had been an angel investor since around 2013. So I've been in Mexico since 2000 and I spent a few years outside of Mexico. And when I came back, I really wanted to get in the impact investing space, but I couldn't really find anyone that wanted to give me a job. So I just started investing myself directly. I first invested in a couple of funds and then invested directly in companies that I saw were solving important problems in Mexico. And at the same time, I was working as a consultant in the energy sector. So I had like this cross-subsidization model going on where I would earn money as a consultant and then invest in startups that were solving you know, important problems. And then went the way that I first started was I saw the lack of access to credit as being a really big break on economic development in Mexico. And so I invested in the fintech space before it was really called fintech in Mexico. And that's how I got my start. So I was doing this for a few years and I didn't realize how isolated I was until a friend I had met invited me to go to this conference in Boston and I saw how dynamic and how much more developed the angel investing space was in the U.S. And I saw all these, and I met all these amazing women who really were a source of inspiration for me. And that, you know, really kind of lit a fire under me because it helped me understand there just weren't enough women in the space in Mexico. And it inspired me to try and change that. hmm
1: And what did your early angel investing career starting in 2013 look like in Mexico? How did you source those opportunities? Who were the founders? Who were your co-investors? What was the ecosystem you were operating in that was really your ecosystem? And then you saw how different things were at the ACA meeting.
0: So I started by investing in a couple of funds and that gave me a access to deal flow. So initially, I invested in, you know, co-invested, the founders coming through those funds. I invested in 500 startups in Mexico, their first fund, and also Angel Ventures in Mexico, their first fund. And then through that, I started developing my own network. And, you know, I was very purpose-driven. So there were different founders solving problems that I could identify with. But after a few years of doing this... I realized that all the founders I was talking to were all men. And it wasn't something that was obvious to me initially. And then I became more aware of the challenges for women in this space. And I started looking out for female entrepreneurs to try and put more balance in my own portfolio.
1: Mm -hmm. So we'll get into your early career later in the conversation, but what I think is really interesting is that your approach to launching your first fund is not only to make investments, but you have described yourself as an activist who is using venture capital as a medium for change. And you're using venture capital as a way to increase women's participation in the venture ecosystem as founders and investors, and you're not prepared to accept the status quo, which is really male-driven. So I'm just curious why, of all the different tools that you could have picked to drive change and gender equality, why do you believe venture capital is the right tool To drive that change.
0: No, that's an excellent question, Jessica. And, you know, the reason, and I wasn't even aware of this until I heard all these very powerful women speak at those meetings, at the ACA meetings in 2018, I heard Judith Rodin speak. Now, Judith is a very impressive woman. She was the first woman to be the president of an Ivy League university in the U.S. She was the president of the University of Pennsylvania And then she was the president of the Rockefeller Foundation. So she's a woman who has managed billions of dollars. And I heard her speak, and she was talking about how women delegate their financial decision making to men. And it was something that I wasn't really aware of because I've never done that. You know, I've always invested myself. And how, you know, if you look at the combination between women delegating to their spouses, to their fathers, to their sons, to their brothers, or to their male financial advisors, it means that women are very much excluded from the financial decision-making table. And what I see is that venture is funding our world today and the future. It's funding technology and innovation that drives change in the world. And so the the extent that we don't have women at the table and the voice and the vision of women being included – we are perpetuating a system that's very biased against women. So I feel that it's very, very important. It's essential to have women as investors involved here. So I've seen a lot of initiatives focused on developing women entrepreneurs and I applaud them. You know, We definitely need more of them. But we need more women writing checks. I really believe that we need as women, to understand our economic power and start using it. And what I find very interesting and sometimes even ironic, and I know that there are systemic reasons for this, but during the 20th century, women really fought to gain political power, to gain the right to vote. But in the 21st century, we're still delegating our economic power. And I think that's where the challenge is helping women to realize that we do have economic power. It's important and we need to use it. And venture is a medium through which we can use that power. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I want to dive into specifically the situation for women investors and women entrepreneurs in Mexico and across Latin America, because your perspective there is so critical. And I looked back at a report issued by the IDB, the Inter-American Development Bank, in 2001, which looked at the state of women entrepreneurship in Latin America. And at that time, the report really have very little data to work with. But what they saw was very few programs existed to promote women founding their own businesses or even working in businesses. But they did survey women entrepreneurs in Mexico at that time. And their top concerns were access to capital, government policy, and access to technology. So I'm curious, it's been 20 years since 2001, what have you seen change, if anything, for women entrepreneurs in Latin America over the past two decades? And what do you think is top of mind for the women founders in Mexico that you're meeting with and working with?
0: I went and looked at that report and I thought it was very, very interesting. And it could be the reason why we've had so many initiatives actually focusing on developing women entrepreneurs. I mean, I definitely see investing in women as an economic strategy you know, for driving economic growth. And I think the key concern is still access to capital. And when I look at that report, I really think that they weren't asking all the right questions because one of the key questions I see is who is directing that capital and why is it so challenging to have women having access to capital? And I really believe it's part of Who are the people making those decisions around how to allocate capital? And that is one of the huge challenges we have still today. You know, I would say 90 to 95% of the people allocating capital are men. And there's been a lot of work over the last 20 years on, you know, various workshops for female entrepreneurs, but I really think there has not been enough focus on changing the mix of who's allocating capital and getting more women into that mix. And I really think we need more focus on getting women as capital allocators. So
1: let's talk about capital allocators. This is something I know that you are hugely passionate about. And I want to think with you about what would you recommend to the limited partners, those who invest in not only venture funds, but really across asset classes, what would you recommend to them? If you were sitting in their shoes about how they should think about allocating capital and how as you as a general partner thought about building your base of LPs with this inclusive lens in
0: mind. One of the things that I hear often is, you know, we can't find women. But women attract women. So when we're looking at, in terms of LPs, I think that we need to start looking at the whole concept of track record in a very different way. What I mean by that, you know, we had the same discussion around women on boards. Okay, we don't have enough women on boards. How do we get the women with the right profiles? And what we see is people are looking for a very traditional background. When they want to put someone on a board, you need to think a little bit more creatively to see how can people have developed those skills that would make them a good board member or would make them a good GP that might not come out of the same traditional route. So when we look at Latin America, we don't have funds like Sequoia in Mexico. So we can't do those same kind of spin outs. And that's same for most countries in Latin America where you don't have these funds that have such a long and established track record. So it's harder to find people with those kind of track records and more traditional. So it's very important to you know support emerging managers to develop their own funds so they can have that knowledge of how to build a fund, how to structure a fund, how to do fundraising. And that is one of the concerns that I have when I look at Latin America and I see some of the funding that's come in from development organisations and who that funding has gone to, you know, they follow the same kind of pattern matching and exacerbating the gender gap that we have here. In Mexico to date, I don't believe that any development organisation has invested in a fund that has been founded by women all of the funding has gone to funds that have been founded by men. So that means that there was a gender gap to start with and it gets bigger and bigger over time because the men are developing their fund two, three, and four and there aren't women who founded their own funds and received funding to build to an institutional level.
1: Mm -hmm. And so for your own fund, Amplifica, how do you think about your LP base?
0: We have uh, been actively reaching out to female investors. 70% or more of our LPs are women, which is something that's unheard of in Mexico or Latin America. Normally, when I speak to other funds, they say around 5 to 10% of their investors are women. And that's because I have been very intentional about talking with potential LPs. So trying to bring people on board, explaining them the importance of having the voice Of women in VC. We also try to do some, you know, educational and learning support. And we've tried to make it fun, you know, make it not like this is a complete black box. But we've been inspired by many funds in the US who do a similar kind of learning and sharing experience. And I've learned from them. And we're trying to put that in practice here in Mexico as well.
1: And speaking of best practices and learning and sharing you are doing much more than just raising Amplifica capital. You are helping build the infrastructure that will support the entry of more women into private markets. So I'd love to hear more about an organization you founded, Mujeres Invirtiendo en Capital Privado, which is a community of women, over 200 women, I believe, who are investing in private markets, which I'd love to hear more about it and really why you founded this organization.
0: Sure. So this group founded with a group of friends of mine in Mexico City in 2016. So we looked around and we saw that there weren't very many women. So we started organizing originally, it was like lunches and And cocktail events. So we could network and share deals and support each other. I remember that one of the women in the group said that, you know, there was no, for example, maternity policy in her fund because they'd never had a woman there who'd been pregnant before. So over time, it evolved from, you know, a small group to a much larger group. And over the last couple of years, we've managed to institutionalize it so that it's now a, organization. And we, you know, really seeking to bring more women in to participate in this space. So we have women in VC, women in PE, women in infrastructure, women in real estate. And what we find is that women move for these different groups. They might move from VC to PE to real estate and backwards and the other ways. Some of the others might be working in a family office and looking at asset allocation for the families that they work with. So it's been an amazing group. And as it grows, the network deepens and strengthens. And it's been something, you know, really, really important and really meaningful to me to be able to help younger women. Because when I first started investing in this space... I felt very awkward. I felt like, well, I'm trying to do this because I think it's really important, but I didn't know many people and I definitely didn't know any other women who were doing what I was doing. So it's really great that there's so many of us and the group is growing every day.
1: And how do you all work together in the group? Are you sharing opportunities to invest together? Are you mentoring? If I were a new investor in Mexico and I wanted to join, what would I do?
0: There's this mixture of everything. There's some mentoring happening. It's more kind of an informal way where people reach out to each other when they need help on different things. There's deal sharing, there's sharing about best practices between, you know, what kind of policies does your company have on maternity or sexual harassment or diversity and inclusiveness it's a real support network where people reach out to each other in a sharing caring way and we have a whatsapp group which we're gonna have to move from whatsapp because we're gonna have too many people in it and then we also have some educational events which we organize and some networking events where it's just you know people having drinks together and sometimes we invite speakers So it's a very organic, member-led group, and it's been something that's been very valuable to me. And I've been the president for these last two years, and I'm handing over the reins to Karina next year, which I'm really excited about too, so that the group keeps refreshing itself and we all keep all the energy going and that it can be useful for people. And the members feel like it really belongs to them in terms of creating content and keeping it going. So it's been really great.
1: I think that these groups that bring together like-minded individuals, particularly women investors and or emerging managers, I've seen them popping up over the past you know, five years. Women in VC is a Slack group and community started in the US by Jessica Peltzatilov. Transact Global is another group for women emerging managers. I love to see that you are leading the charge on the formation of this group or have been for many years in Mexico. I think it's so valuable and I can imagine has been strategic as you've been building Amplifica as well.
0: It's been great, but also I'm also part of the Women in VC group and also Transact Global. That's been an amazing group for me to meet other emerging managers because it can be a really lonely space. So to have these other groups, it's really, really valuable.
1: Let's get into your investment strategy and your thesis and what you propose to look at with Amplifica Capital Fund One. So looking at the sectors across LATAM, so venture capital investment has been growing at an immense pace across Latin America, particularly over 2019 and 2020. And some of the sectors we're seeing kind of rise to the top are fintech, which you've been involved with for many years, e-commerce, prop tech. Those have been kind of the dominant themes. Where are you investing and what problems are the founders you're working with solving for?
0: One of the areas that I love, and this is because, you know, I'm originally from Australia, is the agriculture space. So I grew up in a family where my mum comes from the land and my dad's family were fishermen. And so I find the agricultural space really interesting and it's very important industry throughout Latin America. So we've made three investments in that space so far and we're keeping to look in that agricultural food space and we've seen some really great companies come out in Latin America in that area, from, also from Chile and Argentina as well. Keep looking at fintech. I'm always looking for things that are a little bit different, solving new problems or new solutions to existing problems. That's what I'm looking for. You know, how can we invest in companies that are meaningfully solving challenges that people face? For example, one of the companies we invested in is in the insure tech space. And something that's really interesting is that two out of three cars on the road in Mexico have no insurance. And that's a really big problem. It's a problem for the people who have insurance and the people who don't have insurance because if someone hits your car and they don't have insurance, you know, that means you've got to sort it out usually. So there are so many exciting areas because the gaps that we face and the way people live, I think COVID has really demonstrated that. You know, We've been talking about digital transformation. And we've seen some companies really accelerate in an incredible way that we never thought, you know, through e-commerce. But at the same time, there are so many households that live without connectivity. So how do we provide 21st century skills and learning opportunities to all those households that don't have the same amount of connectivity? So there's huge opportunities we see in the education space, also in the future of work, Upskilling people, helping them transform their skills, and the other place we see huge opportunities is in the clean tech space. So when I talk about clean tech, I mean everything around how can we have a cleaner, more sustainable world. So one of the companies we've invested in is in the mobility space—you know, more efficient transportation—and we're looking for other opportunities there. And also, an area that really excites me is female health. That has been a very under-invested space. In the United States, you've seen you know, a lot more interest in that femtech space, as often people like to call it. We still don't have a huge amount of investment in that space in Latin America. So I'm always looking out for areas that perhaps there aren't so many people in that space that are under-invested because we can help improve people's lives and generate great returns. As you know, Jess, you know, when things are underinvested it means that there's a great arbitrage opportunity and that's what we're looking for
1: so you're investing with what i might describe as a generalist approach you're looking across women's health agriculture clean tech some fintech when you become an amplifica capital founder and part of your portfolio what kind of support are you providing to founders across all of these various industries? How do you think about and you're investing at the very earliest stages? How do you think about moving these founders and their businesses to the next milestone in their growth?
0: It really depends on where the founders are and what they need. So we find that some of the founders, they need a lot of support and coaching. So then it might be anything from, you know, growth strategy through to, you know, how do we launch this new product? How do we approach custom acquisition? So it can be very hands-on. And others, it's, you know, more capital raising. So how can we connect you with the next round of capital? You know, who would be strategic investors? And that's where I find that my international experience is really, really helpful because I have, you know, connections with Australia, connections with other parts of Latin America, connections into the U.S. And also because, you know, when I talk to people, I genuinely always want to see how I can add value. So I'm trying to work out who I could connect who would be interested in what these people are doing? And that makes it fun and exciting because it means that I know that I could help people, right? So that's the way we add value. It's really always coming at this with a win-win mindset. You know? How can we be collaborative and understand exactly what it is that our founders need? Because every founding team is different.
1: And you're spending a lot of time with founders and understanding their needs. And I want to shift slightly to another area where every new fund manager is spending a lot of time, which is, of course, setting up the fund and really setting up yourself for success. And at Cardo, we think a lot about how you set up your fund and setting you on the right course. But I'm curious, because being an investor and supporting founders is quite a different set of skills than being a fund manager and being a fiduciary and reporting to your LPs. What have you learned in this process and what would you advise yourself as you look back at all that you've accomplished since 2020 on the fund management and fund formation process?
0: So what has really helped me is being an LP in other funds. I could see what I like, what I don't like, my own journey as an investor has been very helpful for me setting up a fund. I know also what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and I was so happy to find Carter who could do all of the stuff that I'm not very good at. <laughs> like, you know, we I'm, love that. <laughs> so I'm really, you know, glad as a fund manager that I have all of that back office administration and accounting and capital calls all taken care of through Carter because it allows me to focus on what I believe I'm good at, which is going out and spending time with the founders, talking with investors, helping develop investors because when I look at what I'm trying to achieve here, I'm trying to develop the next generation of investors and founders, I see my clients as being the investors and the founders, right? So getting the back office set up really well is really, really important. And as I said, you know, my experience as an LP has helped me understand that. Mm -hmm.
1: And one of the things I think is unique about you, you don't often see this in the venture space is you are a chartered financial analyst, a CFA, which is, I think, one of your many credentials. But I'm very curious, because of your financial background and your experience across the energy sectors and innovation, what do you think is most important in your role as a fund manager to really get right? How do you become the best asset manager that you can
0: be? I think being transparent is very important and managing people's expectations. You know, I have different kinds of people coming to talk to me because they're excited by what I'm doing. And sometimes there is a lot of education involved because... I, mean, I don't even know if I should be saying this here, but, you know, venture is not necessarily the right place for everyone to play in, right, when they start out investing. And so I don't provide financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but I think my background as a chartered financial analyst helped me understand, you know, risk and liquidity needs. And as a fiduciary, I feel it's very important to communicate that all very clearly to my investors so that they know what they're getting themselves into because not everyone has the same background or the same experience in different financial products.
1: I think that bringing transparency in any way that you can into the private markets, but particularly when you're interacting with people one-on-one about your fund, about investments, is so important, particularly because most information about private companies is one-on-one between individuals so I think having that commitment to transparency is so important I want to go back to your personal story so as you've mentioned you're originally from Australia and you grew up in your family business which was focused on agriculture and fishing and then you started your career in energy which ultimately brought you to Mexico And something that we've observed on this podcast and just in the venture industry is there's not a single path to get to venture capital. And you have had a breadth of experiences. So I'd love to just hear about your early career and how you made the decisions that you did and how you think those decisions led you to run your own fund. So
0: I have always been very purpose driven. I've always been fascinated by economic development And how can we try and help make other people's lives better, but in a sustainable way? And so when I first started out, when I left university, I did an internship at the UN. That led me to understand that maybe I needed to go into the private sector, and it wasn't really through international organizations that was gonna have the most impact. But over time, my professional experience and also my experience as an investor, you know, made it very clear that. I'm very results-oriented, and I like to feel that through my actions I can have a positive impact. I was living in Dubai for a few years, and I couldn't actually – work in the you know formal workplace so I was a day trader for a short time and I hated it you know I really hated it because even though you could make a lot of money in a day it just wasn't enough for me I really like to feel that when I'm making money I am also doing something positive and purposeful with my actions and so that's very much how I ended up in venture because I felt like I could use my work experience, my life experience to help founders develop their companies. And I could help coach and mentor and guide and connect. And after being in Mexico for 20 years, I've got amazing contacts across industries. And I can understand a lot of the challenges these entrepreneurs Uh, Trying to solve. Maybe it's on the productivity level, on the finance level, in different spaces. And because I can understand the problems, I can help connect them with the right people. And when I'm doing that, because I don't ever consider myself a salesperson. I'm thinking I'm really terrible at sales, but I never think about that as sales because I always think that I'm trying to help someone else connect with a solution. So it's all very much you know, driven by trying to solve solutions and work with purpose and align with my values. So I feel really fortunate to have ended up in this space.
1: I think that the best sales certainly is creating value for other people. And it sounds like one of the things I think is so important when you are a venture capital investor, because a lot of what you are doing is trying to understand what does this founder need at this moment and how can I support them? And so it's really important to have a clear understanding about yourself and what your own superpowers are. So I want to dive into that a little bit more. What are Anna and Amplifica's superpowers that you're bringing to not just founders, but really the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem across Latin America?
0: So I find that my superpower, two things. One is my curiosity. You know, I love to learn. I love to understand things. And I'm not afraid to learn something new that I knew nothing about, you know, yesterday. And that really helps me work with founders in new spaces, new technologies, new solutions. But also, I'm not an academic thinker. I'm a very practical and results-oriented person. So so being results-oriented and curious, I see those as my superpowers because I want to see, okay, I found this new information. What can I do with it? You know, How can I help someone? What problem can I solve? And I think really being in this space and seeing a space where there aren't enough women and that that causes real problems. I mean, the fact that we have so many biases and solutions that aren't appropriate for women today, that's because we don't have enough women in this space in VC. And I can see that as a real problem and I want to help and solve that. So, This is why I've been investigating about how can we solve that problem. And that's why I launched Amplifica, because I believe it's a real problem and I want to find a solution.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something that I think is important in venture capital is the role of mentors. And you, I imagine, play the role as mentor, but I imagine also as mentee. And I'm curious how you think of this concept. Have mentors been important to you? And I think mentors could take the form of a person, A parent, a peer, a book, maybe someone you don't even know, someone whose career you observe. You mentioned Judith Rodin, who I also agree is amazing. What is the role of mentorship in your work and your life?
0: That's a really interesting question because I've never had like a formal mentor, but what I have found are people that really inspire me and people who have inspired me are people who've taken on difficult challenges and got through it. Now, for example... Alan Hamilton, I mean, I find that she's amazing. You know, she had came from such an underappreciated background, an underestimated background, and what she's been able to achieve in VC, you know, I find that you know, extraordinary. Sally Krawcheck. Now, Sally is the founder of Elvest, and as I heard on some of her podcasts, you know, she said, you know, I could have just retired and spent my time on boards and going to the beach. And she decided not to do that. She decided to tackle the challenge of getting more women to invest. Um, and I find that, you know, really, really interesting. Uh, another one is Melinda Gates. You know, Melinda, a very wealthy, powerful woman who could just also choose to take an easy path. And she's chosen to stand up and support the fight for gender equality. I mean, I heard her repeat the statistics on gender from the World Economic Forum, which said that it's going to take over 200 years to reach gender parity in the US if we keep going at the same rate. And so these women who have all taken up these unpopular challenges, they are women who really inspire me. In Mexico, Mexico was ranked 122 out of 156 countries in terms of economic opportunity and participation for women. And so like, I have to do something about that. You know, I feel like launching this fund wasn't a choice. I feel like it was a calling. It was like, Anna, at this time in your life, given the experience you've had, you have to do this. Like, just like these other women I mentioned, you know, Arlen, Sally, and Melinda all chose to take on these very, you know, difficult challenges because they are working to resolve or they're fighting for a cause. And that's what inspires me. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that taking on the challenge of creating more opportunity for women investors and women founders across Latin America is so important. And I think that our listeners would be curious to know, what do you think are the biggest levers for change for specifically for women entrepreneurs across Latin America? What do you think is actually helpful for them? Where are they located? Like, how do we learn more about, you know, what is actually meaningful for women founders in Mexico? What are the kind of unique needs and opportunities that women founders in Mexico are looking for?
0: Look, I think it's the same as women founders anywhere, but it's exacerbated in Mexico because of the cultural issues around women. So what women want is women need more access to capital. Women need people to believe in them, to start writing checks, you know, less workshops, more checks, but also to be able to talk with other people who can understand what and why they're building. And that's why I always go back to, you know, we need more women investors. We need more women fund managers. We need more women investment decision makers in funds. I think the whole issue around representation is very important. So seeing other women, whether they be in Mexico or other parts of the world or Latin America, as successful entrepreneurs is very, very important too, because I really believe that, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So when you look and you see other people that look like you or other people you can relate to in some way, because maybe they're also underrepresented or underestimated, that's very important. And that's something that I see very, very important in Mexico. So it's, you know, writing checks, it's representation, it's meeting other investors who really understand what they're doing.
1: I love that. More checks, fewer workshops. I think that that really says it all. You know, there are plenty of workshops and support networks that are out there. You've helped build some of them, but really it's making those investments. And I think with more women as check writers, I hope that we see more of that and you're doing phenomenal work in that area. So Anna, thank you for coming on the first close and sharing with us the journey of Amplifica and what you're building. Really look forward to seeing what's next.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation, Jessica. I think it's amazing what you're doing here at Carter and the way you're amplifying the voices of so many emerging managers.
1: Anna believes it's essential to have women as investors so that more women-led companies can be financed. Let's take a look at the gender gap in Latin America. A white paper from Endeavor and MasterCard on the gender gap in Latin American technology found that across 800 businesses in Mexico City, Bogota, Colombia, and Buenos Aires, Argentina, only 9% had all women founding teams. In each of those cities, the number of companies with at least one woman on the founding team hovers around 50. That's 50 total businesses. Globally, according to Crunchbase's 2020 Female Founders Report, in the last five years, we're seeing more female-founded companies overall. Nearly 10,000 female-founded companies have cropped up over the last five years. But all women founding teams Still, only captured 3% of the venture capital investment. Anna is actively working to change this with Amplifica. As Anna said in our conversation, women founders need more checks and fewer workshops. And Anna is not just changing the world with her fund, she has created a network and opportunities for more women to collaborate and invest. This podcast is presented by eShares Incorporated, doing business as Carta Incorporated, Carta, and Carta Ventures. The opinions of the guests and host are their own and do not reflect the view of eShares Incorporated doing business as Carta Incorporated, Carta, and Carta Ventures. Listeners should not treat any opinion or comments as investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice. The content of the podcast is not legal, financial, or tax advice and is not meant to recommend or offer the purchase or sale of a security. This podcast is informational only. The first close is a Hit Start Media production. The show is written and co-produced by me, Jessica Strauss. Hit Start Media founder Theo Miller is creative director, with sound production by Nick Canapa and script production by Mary Kelleher. This podcast is presented by eShares, Inc., doing business as Carta, Inc., Carta and Carta Ventures.